welcome to Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here today. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, follow us on social media or visit our website, gatewayhome.com. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. So I'm going to dive into the message today. We're on a third part of our series entitled, In This House. And while every house has values, principles, and ways that they live by, there's also the same when it comes to the church in us individually, but also corporately as a church as we gather together and we are part of God's house. And we've been talking about different values that the church should have, but also the values that are relate to us as Gateway Church, who God has called for us to be in this city, in this nation, and around the world. And we talked about first, we need to have a relationship with God, the pursuit of intimacy. Last week, we talked about relationships with one another, that grace should be our perspective, that honor is our language. And today, we want to talk about that we are called to be generous stewards. We're called to be generous stewards. That's the language that you would hear around here. This is the value of Gateway Church from the very beginning, and both of those have to walk together. They can't be separated. There's over 2,000 verses in the scriptures that focus on stewardship and generosity. So God thinks it's a big deal when it comes to how we steward our lives, how we steward our talent, our time, and the treasure that he's allowed us to oversee. So, and it's important that both work in tandem because if you're simply generous, but you're not a good steward, God won't be able to open the windows of heaven over you because he knows that you won't be able to manage it well. But if you're simply a good steward, sometimes another word comes along with it. If you're just stingy, we like to paint it pretty. If you're just frugal, then God won't be able to bless you either because here's why. Because he's called every single one of us to be blessed for what? So that we can be a blessing to other people as well. We're simply a conduit for what God wants to do here on this earth. So we want to talk about this. The title of today's message is From Problem to Potential. From Problem to Potential. And once again, I'm going to go with the In This House theme. And in this house, generosity is our response. In this house, the first point is generosity is our response, and I only have two points today. So generosity is our response to all that God has done. Generosity should mark the lives of believers. When you think about the Bible, we know the subject. And if you don't know the subject, the subject is not us. We may be the object of the Bible, but God is the subject of the Bible. The Bible is the story of God and how he is over all of creation, sovereign and all of creation, how he has a plan from the beginning to end to walk out his will and to walk out his desires, and he calls us to be a part of that story. But have you ever thought about what is the verb of the Bible? Many people in here may say love, and well, that's not wrong. I actually don't feel like it's love. John 3.16, one of the most famous passages of Scripture says, for God so loved the world that he gave. I believe that giving is actually the verb of the Bible. Because if God had not given his son, we would not be able to be in relationship with him today. So it's important that we realize that generosity 
It's simply about giving more than is required. If someone simply gives what's required, you wouldn't call that generosity. You'd be grateful, but it wouldn't be generous. Generosity, the definition is to give more than is required. The opposite spirit of generosity, though, is greed. And here's what greed says. It's an excessive desire for more of something, especially wealth or possessions. And there are certain things throughout the scriptures that God points out to us that he actually doesn't say you need to pray it away. You actually can't pray away greed. There's an action that has to be taken. The way to remove grief from your life is actually to be generous. The way to remove guilt is to confess. You don't need to pray if you should confess. You need to confess. That's how you even get in relationship with God, is to confess our sins and receive his righteousness. So there's things that we don't need to pray about. When it comes to removing greed from our lives, you may want to go to God and pray, how should I be generous? But generosity is actually what removes it from your life and living a life of generosity. In Luke chapter 19, there's a story about a man named Zacchaeus. Many people are familiar with this story, but if you're not, well, you're going to go through it. But when I was younger, there was a song that was written about Zacchaeus that we sang all the time. And you may have heard this song. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. The Lord passed by and said, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today. Okay, see, you grew up the same way that I did. I just think whenever we get to heaven, though, Zacchaeus is going to be a little bit upset because we talked to every single kid and told him to call him a wee little man. So I don't know how tall he's going to be whenever we get to heaven, but we may be able to spot him out. But he was a little bit shorter in stature, and this applies to the story, and that's the only reason why it's relevant. So if you're a little bit shorter, please don't be offended. That's not the purpose of this message. But in Luke 19, starting in verse 1, it said, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. So he's on his way to Jerusalem. This is the last time he's heading to Jerusalem. He's about to be crucified. He's about to die, and then he's about to be raised again. But he's on his way, and he just so happens to stop in Jericho. And it was very intentional because you do not need to go through Jericho to get to Jerusalem if you've ever been to Israel. So he decides to go this way. There is a man named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus, just so you know, it actually means pure. It means righteous one. But if you know his lifestyle, you know it was anything but pure and it was anything but righteous. He was the chief tax collector in the region. And he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree, fig tree, beside the road. For Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people, of course, the crowd, was as pleased. He is gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. How many of you would love to receive four times as much? Back on your taxes, okay. 
Sorry. Just throwing that out there. Tax Jesus will fun us. He said, I'll give back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. So I'm going to give a little context and then I'm going to dive into the passage. He was a chief tax collector. I need you to remember that because Matthew was actually a tax collector and Jesus called him to follow him. So there were different levels when it came to being a tax collector. And here's what would happen. The Roman Empire was the dominating empire at that time. And what they would do is that they would levy a tax on the people that they had conquered. And the way that they actually did this is not by sending their own people. They would actually recruit people from that nation in order to take the taxes, the heavy taxes that were upon their people. This was a job that you typically actually had to bid for. This isn't something you just fell into. It was something that you did intentionally because you wanted the wealth, not really the prestige, because people would hate you. They were considered scum. They were considered traitors. And they were considered people who had betrayed their own nation. And greed had set in their hearts. And as Jesus was entering Jericho, as usual, there's this crowd that's surrounding him. And Zacchaeus somehow finds out that Jesus is passing by. But because of his stature, it says he runs ahead of him, knowing the path that he was going to take, and climbs up a tree. So this is a big deal. Because a man of his status, a man of his standing in society, one who was hated, but the fact that he was a wealthy man, men in the east did not run. They walked everywhere. The fact that he climbed a tree showed his level of curiosity. Who do you typically see climbing trees? It's typically not adults. It's typically kids, right? For the most part, unless you love to climb trees here, that's great too. Once again, not here to judge. But he had this desire to seek after Jesus, even if it meant being undignified from what he had always known and from how he had probably always carried himself. And Jesus is beginning to pass by. And God calls his name. Jesus calls his name. He says, Zacchaeus. Now, I want this to sink in for a second. There's many different ways he could have known his name. One is, it could have been just divine revelation. He knows who Zacchaeus is. That's a possibility. I think there's another possibility as well, is that Jesus actually had a tax collector that was with him named Matthew. And Matthew may have known about Zacchaeus because he was a chief tax collector. He was one of the wealthier people in that place. So Matthew may have known who he was. But Jesus also knows this, knows your name. He knows your name. We need to let that sink in. As a matter of fact, in Revelation, he actually says that you have a name that only he knows about, that no one knows about, that he'll reveal to you one day if you are his own. Because Jesus knows who his sheep are. John 10, 3 says this, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. So as Jesus is passing by, he sees Zacchaeus in the tree, calls him by name. And I want to say this, he noticed him. 
For anyone who's seeking after God, God takes notice of that person. It says, seek and you will find. God's heart is to find us. It's not hard. If we will seek him, we will be found by him. And he says to him, I must go to your house today. I'm going to talk about that in a second. Because I believe there's something that's revealed when you read the entirety of Luke. There's context that's important that he's actually revealing to his disciples and the people that are around him. So he's like, I must go to your house today. And I'm sure Zacchaeus is like, I can't believe it. I was content to just let Jesus pass by. And if we're honest today, there are times where we're content with just letting our day pass by without actually encountering the God of the universe, without encountering Jesus, without prayer, without the word, without having a moment for us to be alone with God. And we just go about the motions instead of stopping. But Jesus didn't pass him by. And I want to tell somebody, because this may be for someone here or someone watching online, is that Jesus is willing to stop. Jesus is willing and wants to be with you. Jesus will not pass you by, and he has not passed you by. He wants to be in relationship with you. Zacchaeus wasn't worthy. He's lumped in with notorious sinners. This is why the crowd is so against him. But even though the crowd was against him, he was about to realize that God was for him, that God still wanted to be in relationship with him. So it's not about how worthy we think we are or how good we think we are. It's because of how good God is. So Jesus stops to have a relationship with him. But here's what's interesting. You don't get the context and the content of what happened at that dinner. All you see is the response that Zacchaeus makes. And I want you to notice it. He encounters Jesus. His life is changed. He receives him into his home. And just so you know, you're going to have to receive Jesus because he's not an intruder. He's not just going to barge into your life. You're going to have to receive him. So he receives him in his house. And here's his response off the back of it. He says, I'm going to give half of everything I own to the poor. And on top of that, if I cheated anyone on their taxes, which he had, I'm going to get back four times as much. Okay, so why is this generous? Because the law actually only required you to give 20% if you were a thief. You were supposed to return what you stole, and then you were supposed to return 20% over it. So if you stole $100, you'd return $120. He's saying, if I cheated you and I've stolen $100, I'm actually going to give you $400. I'm going to go over and above and be generous because of his encounter with Jesus. And I just want to let you know that when you encounter G Jesus, generosity is a natural byproduct of that. Generosity flows from a heart who has been changed by Jesus, who has come into relationship with God. And in one moment, he, from, he moved from a greedy taker to a generous giver. He was glad to do what was more than required of him. He activated generosity in his life. And once again, I don't know everything that was told, but he knew that generosity follows his belief in Jesus. And Jesus doesn't force him to do this. Here's why though. Because there is nothing great that has ever been done under the spirit of obligation. 
God doesn't want a relationship with us so that we simply do the bare minimum. The bare minimum doesn't stand out. Even at work, the people that stand out are the people that are going above and beyond what is required of them. They're the ones who are receiving the promotion. They're the ones. So once again, it's not just generosity when it comes to finances. It's generosity when it comes to our life. Because as Gateway Church, we will not be the church that God has called for us to be unless all of us are generous with our time, with our talent, our treasure. This morning, in the cold, people were setting this school up to be a place where we could worship. When it was 32 degrees, they're waking up at 5 a.m. doing that. This morning right now, people are in the kids, serving and leading your kids to have a growing and thriving relationship with God. We're called to serve. We're called to give. Generosity should be normal in the life of a believer because generosity is an act of worship. We have to change our heart from I have to to I get to. We have to remove this idea of obligation and move it to a place where it's saying this is an opportunity. This is because there's so much potential whenever we're generous and God can bless us whenever we are. And in that moment, in this story, he says, today, salvation has come to this house. There's been a change. There's been repentance. There's, he's changing who he was. But see, generosity didn't save him. And I need to make that clear. We're not saved by our works. We're saved by grace. He had an encounter with Jesus. He believed in him, and therefore he did something. Generosity did not save him. But generosity was evidence of his salvation. And he says he's now a true son of Abraham, and this is important. Because he's speaking to the Jewish people, and he's saying the true sons of Abraham aren't simply the people who are born into it. There are, there are people who believe in the Messiah. There are people who believe in Jesus. Because we're not saved by our parents. We can't get saved through anyone else. We can only be made whole by having a relationship with God. So why do I say that Jesus said, I must go to your house today? For those of you who don't, that don't know, whenever you read through the Bible, obviously they break it down. There's different chapters and different verses. That's not the original way that it was intended. It would have all just been read one thing together. In Luke chapter 18, there's a story that many of us may have also heard about. It's the story of the rich young ruler. Anyone remember that story? Those watching online, maybe you remember as well. There's a story of the rich young ruler who was more religious. And he asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to receive eternal life? And Jesus lists off four different commandments. And then he responds, I've done all those things since my youth. And Jesus says to him, there's one thing you lack. So all that you have and give it to the poor and come, follow me. Be my disciple, right? And then the response is he leaves and goes away very sorrowful. And Jesus says this, it's hard for a rich man, impossible for a rich man to come into the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to come into the kingdom of God. And the disciples say on the back of this, well, then who can be saved? And Jesus says to them, with man, 
it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. The next chapter, Jesus encounters Zacchaeus, and he shows them that the one who had been a tax collector and a notorious sinner, not the religious one, responded to the message of Jesus, and his life was forever changed, and he started giving away his life. Because the past problem did not dictate his future potential. Because if you know his story, he actually goes on to be a disciple of Peter and a bishop in Caesarea. So he changes and totally moves out of the lifestyle. Now he's following after God and becoming a leader within the church because God had changed his life because now he was living a life of generosity. And his generosity was never coupled with regret because he was simply giving towards that which he was passionate about. So in this house, generosity is our response. Here's the second thing. In this house, we have a kingdom mindset. In this house, we have a kingdom mindset. Your mindset will determine the way that you live your life. Life isn't always going to be easy, but the way that you think about it, the way your mind processes it, will set the course of your life. This is why the Bible tells us that we need to renew our minds, be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So our minds need to be renewed in order to walk into all that God has for us. But a kingdom mindset is a mindset of this to me. It's set on stewardship. That's the kingdom mindset because we're all stewards whenever we come into the family of God. And here's what stewardship means. Stewardship is the management of the property of another. It's simply the management of the property of another. A steward is a servant entrusted to protect and expand the owner's resources. And who's the owner? Psalm 24, verse 1, it says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 and 20, it says, Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. I don't know if you've ever gone to the grocery store or for those of you, you just simply shop on Amazon, whatever it is. You go, they scan everything in, you pay the, pay the tab, whatever the cost is. You pay it online. They say they're ready to ship it to you or you're ready to put it in your cart. I don't know if you ever get to that place where you're like, you know what? I paid for that but just leave it here and walk out the store. No one would be satisfied with that. Why? Because you want everything that you pay for. I want to tell you today that God doesn't just want a part of your life. He doesn't just want everything but the place that you desire to say, hey, I'm giving you the rest, but I'm just going to keep this part to myself. God wants everything that he's paid for, and you've been bought with a very high price, the price of his son, so that you can be in relationship with him. So for you, you should also receive everything that God paid for. You should receive wholeness. You can be free. You don't have to be stuck in the past. You should be able to receive everything that God has for you and not settle for anything less. This is a part of stewardship. 
that we need to be able to walk in. I don't know if you've ever rented a house before, but if you rent a house, you typically have a landlord. And it's a, it's a can be a good scenario because what happens when something breaks in the house? Who's responsible for it? The owner is, right? You're not responsible for what's broken. The owner has to provide for that. Not the person who's the steward. So if God is the one who paid for your life with a price, if you belong to him, you can go to the owner and say, there's some things that are broken that need to be fixed in my life. You do not have to fix them on your own because you have a God who cares for you and a God who loves for you that wants to step into those situations of your life that may be broken and put them back together again. So the only dangerous part, especially in the life of a believer, is when we begin to think with the owner and we begin to walk that process out. So if we are stewards, what's then required of stewards? Is it to be brilliant? Is it to be successful? Is it to carry this image? I believe the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1 through 12. He says, let a man so consider us, this is Paul and Apollos, as servants of Christ, and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. That's what it is. There's a requirement for a stewardship. It's to be found faithful. It's not about just having success, worldly success. Significance in the kingdom of God is being found faithful with what he's given to you. Not to please other people, but to please him. That's what God has called us to do. And the way that we're actually entrusted with more is to manage what we have well. And here's what that means. That we're always in a season of growth, where we are now, but we're also always in a season of preparation. The way we manage today will determine what we are able to manage tomorrow in the kingdom of God. Be faithful today, and that actually proves that you'll be faithful in the future. Some of us are saying, God, I want more. God, I want you to anoint me more. I want a greater ministry. I want more influence, whatever it is. And God will say to you, be faithful. Because as you are faithful, I can actually entrust you with more. And that's what we should all be mindful of. Matthew 6.33 says this, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. As stewards, we are to seek the kingdom of God first and above all else. And here's why. Because of what you put first orients the rest of your life. And when you put what's meant to be first, first, it allows everything else to take their proper place. Whenever we seek God with all that we are and put him first. One way to measure how we're stewarding, I want to pick one area, stewarding our time. I'm actually going to give it another word. I feel like our time actually is what we're giving our attention to. Time is limited. We can't give, get any more of it back. Once it's spent or invested, it's gone. We can't get, we can't get it back. So what are we giving our attention to? Are we giving our attention to the kingdom of God first or is it going in another place? Is it going in a place that won't produce the same returns in our lives? This is what commercials do. That's actually what they want. 
They typically don't just slap it up there unless it's an infomercial of what they want you to buy. Have you seen most of the commercials? My kids hate commercials, by the way. They're used to watching stuff that doesn't have commercials anymore. So even when I'm watching live TV, they're like, Daddy, fast forward. I'm like, I, I can't. That's not the way this works. And I remember a day when you actually could not record and fast forward anything. So you have it much better than I did growing up. But what are they trying to do? They're trying to capture your attention. Why? Because if they capture the, your attention, they know they'll get your thoughts. You'll be thinking about it. That's the way marketing works. That's the whole point. They want your attention. If they can get your thoughts, eventually they'll get your treasure. So we need to do an audit of what is getting our attention. I love and hate the fact that the iPhone tracks how long you've been on it or any other phone, maybe an Android. Once again, no offense to those that have Androids. I love you like I loved you last week. Love you today. Don't know if it does or not because I don't have one. But it actually can show you exactly where you've been putting your attention, exactly what your mindset is on. Is it on an app? Is it on social media? Is it on TV with the news? We need to take inventory and audit where we've been placing our attention because it will shape our lives. Another way of saying it is we need to pay attention to what we've been paying attention to. We have to do that in order to have a kingdom mindset and make sure that God is first. And Jesus tells this story right off the back of being in Zacchaeus' house. And many commentaries would say he was actually in Zacchaeus' house when he told the parable of the miners. It's similar to the parable in Matthew 25 where he is talking about the talents. But here's, there's several major differences. One was given on the Mount of Olives. This one's actually given in Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. So they're actually two different stories with different parallels. This one, there's 10 servants, and he gives each one one minor, and a minor is three months worth of wages, and the other one, they're giving a talent. This one, every single servant is given one. In Matthew 25, they're giving them, they're given a talent according to their ability. So there's a difference between the two. So this one represents that every single person re receives a measure of faith. We all are carriers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this story is a nobleman goes because he's about to receive a kingdom. And he puts these servants in charge of investing his resources until he comes back. They're supposed to steward this well, and he's testing them. And he says, I'm leaving, and I'm going to come back. So he leaves, comes back, and he says, hey, I've received the kingdom. And he comes back, and he checks to see your stewardship of the people, because every single person has to give an account. And just so you know, all of us will also have to give an account for how we've stewarded. It matters the way that we live. Yes, there's always grace, but the way that we live matters to God because we will be rewarded according to how we steward the life that he has given us. So he goes to the first servant, and the first servant says, look, your minor Remember that word. He says it's yours. What you have given me, not just what I've done with my own ability, because we're not independent and separate from God. Even though you think you've done it on your own, you have not done it on your own. God has given you the ability to do it. He says, your mina has actually earned 10 more. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Oversee 10 cities in this kingdom. Then the next one comes and says, hey, your mind has actually earned five. 
And once again, he says, well done, be over five cities. But there was one more servant that he actually calls a wicked servant. He says, the servant says to him, hey, I didn't do anything with it. I put it in a handkerchief and I just kept it because I know the type of person you are. And as a matter of fact, you're all powerful and you don't even need my help. You don't need me. So I'm actually here to simply return back to you the exact thing that you've given me. There's been no growth. There is no, has been no investment. But here's what Jesus, through this parable, had told him. He said in Luke 19, verse 13, he said, So we called ten of the servants, delivered to them the ten miners, and said to them, Do business till I come. See, this third servant wasn't concerned with the return of the king, so he wasn't concerned with the business of the king. He didn't care if the king returned or not. He's like, I'm just going to give you what I have. And some of you may be saying today, it's going to sound a little bit harsh. Hey, I just want to get into heaven. I'm satisfied with that. I'm good with that. Here's the problem with that. Is that you're actually not being a good steward. Because he's given you the life that he's given you, he's given you the time, the talent, and the treasure to do business until Jesus comes back once again. So it matters how we live our lives. One of the saddest stats that I see as a pastor is that there, the longer that you are saved, this is the typical stat that I don't want to be true about us. The longer that you are saved, the longer you've been walking with the Lord, the less you actually share your testimony. The less you go out of your way to share the gospel with other people, the less you actually share what God has done in your life. That's not stewarding what God has given you well. He's given you a hope. He's given you a future. He's given you a life. He's blessed you. He's cared for you. And what's required of us is that we be found faithful with what God has given us. And as a steward, what God wants to do in our life is limitless if we would be faithful with what God has given us today. Because the more our love for God grows, the more our love for people should grow too to bring them into relationship with him. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. I want you to ask yourself this question. It's a question we ask every single week, and it's an important question. Whether you're in here or watching online, what is the Holy Spirit speaking to me through this message? Are there areas of our lives that we need to be more generous? Are there areas of our lives where we're not stewarding? We need to come to the place where we say yes to God. We want what you want. We love what you love. And in a moment here, we're going to go to time a prayer in worship. We do this at the end of every single service. And after I pray, the prayer team is going to be down front. If you need prayer for anything at all, whether you're going through something emotionally, financially, physically, whatever it is, we want to have the opportunity to pray for you and with you. Don't leave this place today with the same burdens that you came in with. Join your faith with someone else's. And then we're also going to sing one more song as a response to the message that was given as a response to the goodness of God because he is worthy of our worship. 
So in a moment, if you need prayer for anything at all, please come down. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you promise to be with us every single step of the way. We thank you that one encounter with you can change our hearts, can change our lives, that you have called us to be generous stewards. This is our, our response to everything that you've done. And today we choose to say yes. Choose to say yes to your will. Choose to say yes to your way. Choose to say yes to what you are calling us to, to make a difference in this world. And we love you so much. It's in Jesus' name I pray. joining us today. If you live in the Houston area or are in town for a visit, we would like to invite you to join us for a service. For service times and location or more information about Gateway Church, follow us on social media or visit our website gatewayhome.com. Have a blessed week.